Our scripture passage today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is this how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to God's word, we need his help, so let us begin with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word. The intimate details of how these events transpired. But more than that, Lord, we thank you that you provide for us your Holy Spirit to make your word alive to our hearts. And we ask that you would do that work now. That we wouldn't just read these words for information, but that they would be the life-giving source of your spirit to call us closer to you and to your son. To give us comfort and conviction encouragement, and life. Help us now as we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're continuing in our narrative in John's Gospel. And as we celebrate our one-year anniversary, I think we're making pretty good pace. I was hoping we'd finish in about a year. We're, we're getting close. But we're getting close to the end of the story, and we can tell as we are heading to this climactic moment now. Remember last week, we saw Jesus in the garden with his disciples. Judas betrays him, and Peter cuts off the man's ear. But Jesus was in control of everything that was going to happen, and so he goes with them willingly, and he protects his disciples. But here we have highlighted for us 
one of the most tragic stories in all of the New Testament, one that is repeated for us in each of the Gospel accounts, and that is Peter's denial. The Apostle Peter here and in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke shows us how committed he truly was in the face of oppression, in the face of uncertainty, in the face of confessing his Lord before others. And Peter, in all four accounts, is a dismal failure. John gives us a briefer version of this story. But it's important for us as we think about why this would be included in all four of the Gospels, because perhaps it's that important for us to truly see what the disciples of Jesus were like. Oftentimes we read through the Bible and we think of, you know, the patriarchs of old as being these great heroes. Adam and Noah and Abraham and Moses and Aaron and David and Solomon. Of course, when we get to the New Testament and we read about Peter and John and James and all of these heroes of the faith, what we often see in Scripture is not their great accolades, but their great failures. And Peter's failure here is particularly poignant because of his current status, of the position he held. Peter was within the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. One commentator said there is an an elect of the elect of the elect, (laughs) meaning Jesus elected Peter, James, and John to be his three inner circles, and he had the twelve disciples that he had elected to be his close companions, to be his witnesses, and of course there's the broader category of all of Christ's disciples, and so Peter here is in the center And to fall from such a close place makes his sin all the more scandalous. It is comparable, if you will, to when we talked about Judas, who was seated at that dinner in Jesus' place of honor. And it was lavished the love of Jesus, even that choice morsel from his plate. And because of the great love, because of the great trust, it made the betrayal all the more heinous. And so we see it begin to repeat itself here with Peter. In fact, one of the things that we have in mind here, this rooster crowing, goes back to that night, the Last Supper, John 13. Simon Peter said to Jesus, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterwards. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. 
Jesus knew this was going to happen. Jesus prepared Peter for the inevitable denial that was about to take place. And yet Peter, being so close to Jesus, being so confident in his own strength, could not foresee that he would succumb to such an act. Why can't I go with you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus says, you'll deny me three times. And we see Peter falling from his state of favor, being this central figure of the church. Not only does he have this great place in the church, but he also was faithfully warned. Jesus had told him that this was going to happen. And so Peter ought to have been prepared for it. All the more disappointing. Perhaps most ironically, this happens right after this was spoken by Peter. It wasn't many hours ago that he made this confession. And the scene right before this, while Peter is standing next to Jesus, he takes out his sword and he's like, I got this. But when Jesus is taken away, when the scene gets a little bit more ambiguous, Peter has no backbone. In his own strength, he fails. Interesting in our passage today that the account of Peter's denial is broken up into two sections, and in the middle is this recounting of Jesus' examination by Annas, the high priest. Now, there's a little bit of confusion here just to help you understand. Like Annas is called the high priest, and Caiaphas is also called the high priest in this passage, and you might think, that doesn't make any sense. It's a little confusing, but we'll just go with this. When the Romans took over and the Jews had to appoint a particular high priest, Annas was not going to be able to be qualified for that. So informally, Annas is the high priest. And formally, with the Roman rule, Caiaphas is the high priest. Caiaphas is the one that's going to be able to hand over Jesus to the Romans. So if you're wondering about that tension... That's what's going on here. And so Jesus is brought to the high priest, Annas, Caiaphas' father-in-law. I know, it's confusing. But we have this scene, and the scene is intentionally put in between the denials of Peter to point out some things to us. But first, let's look at the details of the scene. Okay, so we have Jesus on trial. We'll get back to Peter in a minute. Now, when Jesus was alive and living at this time, the courts in the Jewish system were probably the most merciful and most judicious and most careful of any at the time. And what's happening in this scene is that basically all of the decorum, all of the laws, all of the just Provisions in God's law for these types of trials have been thrown out. 
We'll see them as we get through. And Jesus points them out. The high priest questions Jesus, and he wants to know two things about him. Right? He wants to understand his disciples, and he wants to understand his teaching. Tell us about your disciples. Remember, we talked last week. It's not, it's not unlikely that that group of soldiers were looking not to just take Jesus, but to take all of his disciples. So they want to know about his disciples. They want to know about his teaching. Interestingly, Jesus skips over their first request. He doesn't mention his disciples. He, once again, protects them from being included in this unjust court hearing. And what is his case? He says, I have spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Jesus, of course, has told his disciples things in more secret, intimate settings. But what Jesus is saying here is the message he has proclaimed has not been one that was seditious and behind closed doors, but has been spoken openly in many places in front of many people. There is no question about what Jesus has said. But even here, we already have a violation of Jewish court order. Because a man who's accused, who's brought in, well, he can plead the fifth. He doesn't have to testify. In fact, it would be more favorable for them not to testify. And instead, what do we often hear in the Bible is we need to have the testimony of two or three witnesses. So if I wanted to make a claim against Jesus, I would need to go find two or three people that could cooperate some sort of chargeable offense. And not only would those three come and tell their story, there would be some sort of other witnesses. And that fact, the defending witnesses would get to speak first. But here there are no witnesses Jesus doesn't have the right to sit in silence. He is the one that is being interrogated. And Jesus says, I don't understand why you are interrogating me. These are things everybody has heard. Why are you asking me? They don't have witnesses. They don't want to go through the merciful, careful, just system Ask those who heard me. Bring in the witnesses. They will tell you what I've said. And Jesus corrects their folly. He is struck by one of the guards and says, Is that how you answer the high priest? See, what's happened here, if you remember, right? Caiaphas had said, that it would be better for one man to be put to death than for all of the people to suffer. And so this is all a ruse. They had no intention of hearing Jesus out. And when Jesus tries to call them to order, they put him in his place. Furthermore, this is being done in secret. The very thing Jesus is saying he hasn't done. And These types of hearings would have necessarily taken place openly during the day, public, for people to listen in on.
This was not a trial. This was the groundwork for a murder. They have no intention of hearing the case. They just want Jesus gone. Jesus responds, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong, but if what I said is right, why do you strike me? They just want Jesus to shut it. That their will would be done. And so it is as they bind him and send him off to Caiaphas. And then we get to go back to Peter. We see this unjust trial. We see this accusation against Jesus, this questioning of him, and yet we know it was all for nothing. And why is this tied in with Peter's denial? I think there's a contrast here that we want to lean into a little bit. Just as we can compare and contrast how Peter and Judas are both those who will deny the Lord, Judas ultimately will take his sin with him to the grave, and Peter will take his sin back to the Lord and be forgiven. And so we have here before us a contrast between Peter and our Lord himself. And the idea of this witness taking place. Jesus is innocent. We know he has done nothing wrong. In fact, the charges that are brought up against him eventually would be true if it weren't, in fact, that Jesus was the Son of God. It would be blasphemous to make these claims. It would have been wrong for Jesus to say he forgave sins unless he was indeed who he said he is. So these men are massively mistaken. But Jesus is innocent in this scene and he bears witness about himself. Jesus is innocent and he bears true witness. And Peter... Well, Peter is a false witness. And because of his false witness, he is guilty of denying the Lord. Look at Peter's actions. Think of the, these actions as they unfold. So Peter shows up and he's with one of the other disciples. We're not told who it is. A lot of people think it's John, somebody who's known by the high priest, who can kind of come and go, is known by the guards, who has some privileged position among the people of God. And he must have been known to be a disciple of Jesus. Because when he goes and says, hey, we got to let Peter in, the servant girl asks Peter, well, are you one of his disciples too? And Peter, afraid of a servant girl at the gate, says, no, I'm not. And then standing far away, in no danger, but just maybe some scorn in the question. You're not one of his disciples too, are you? I'm not. And then the man who is bearing true witness against him, who saw what he did in the garden... No, I saw you in the garden. 
and he denied it. What's interesting as we look at these passages, what Peter confesses here compared to what Jesus confessed as they came to arrest him is this striking parallel. Who are you seeking? Is what Jesus said to the guards. And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And they fell down in fear. He says, who are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. What does Peter say? I am not. I am not. It's an interesting parallel that John presents for us. The true witness and testimony of our Lord being compared to the one who we maybe would esteem very highly at the time. Who is being betrayed, shown before us as this great betrayer. The one who would deny Jesus three times to a servant girl, to somebody he doesn't even know, and then to even a witness who knows for certain. And what is this teaching us today? Why does Jesus need to be contrasted with Peter? Why do we need to see Peter's failures I think we all have the same problem that Peter does. Peter, perhaps in his most central reason for denying the Lord, was his fear of man. Fear of a servant girl. Fear of some people around a fire. Fear of a witness. Fear of what might happen to him, just like Jesus is being bound and carried away. Peter is full of fear, and at the same time, the reason why Peter has such great fear is he had too great of a self-confident outlook, willing to lay down his life, bringing out his sword to cut off people's ears, and then at the question of a little girl to cower in fear, because Peter was trusting in his own strength, his own ability And yet we look to other people. Maybe we look to ourselves and think we can have some confidence because of how great they are or how great we are. But let us not be deceived. Let us not be deceived at how little stands between you and me and Peter and anybody else from committing the most heinous of sins, even denying our Lord in his greatest hour of need. And we're told in some of the other accounts, when the rooster crows, he sees Jesus and makes eye contact with him. And so, as Jesus is slapped by this man, who is unjustly tried, I can't imagine that that pain would have been anything compared to the pain of seeing his close friend Peter deny him and so when we look to even this perfect justice system 
perfectly merciful and just, rooted in God's law, all of the safeguards in place. It does no good if it's run by evil men. And when we look to ourselves or to others to lead us through, to have confidence and strength, it will only leave us with a man or a woman or ourselves who will fail us. Who in the hour when it will matter most will not be able to stand because the evil men who accuse Jesus are not that much different than you and I. We, like Peter, think too highly of ourselves. We, like Peter, also live in great fear. Unwilling to do certain things. Afraid of being known for who we truly are. But this contrast here is to point out to us one main thing. And that is that the gospel is not for those who are strong, those who are confident, those who are fearless. Jesus has not found for himself the 12 greatest men in Israel. Jesus has found for himself weak failures who sin against even him. And this confession we ought to have in our mouths, not in the way Peter says it, but in the way we think of where we place our trust. Are you trusting in yourselves? We ought to confess, I am not. Because if we are, then we are no longer trusting in the one who is, I am. It would be very easy in the time when Jesus goes to the cross and dies and is placed in a grave to exalt a man like Peter. To replace him. He is next in line, if you will. And what we have before us is this truth that no man is worth of being trusted except for one. Jesus Christ himself, the one who was innocent, who bared true testimony, and who ultimately forgive people like Peter. People like me, people like you. Indeed, it would be good for us to be prepared for times of trial when perhaps we will be asked questions. Do you really believe that? Perhaps the day is coming soon when the things that Christians believe will no longer be allowed in the public square. And I'm sure most of us will avoid those scenarios. Most of us will be easily persuaded to say, I'm not like that kind of Christian. The good news is that Jesus Christ will forgive you if you turn back to him. And the only way we can stand before those who want to bring accusation against our Lord is if we don't think of ourselves any higher than we ought to, but instead we see how high and mighty he is and how glorious the gospel is for those who believe it. 
It's when we are creating for ourselves a reputation, something to protect. When we think we're so above temptation, we are close to our own demise. That is why we pray in the Lord's Prayer every week. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, because we are weak. We will give in to temptation unless the Lord delivers us. And even when we do, even when we fall, he will deliver us still. Brothers and sisters, there's great comfort in seeing failing people like Peter, who belong to our Lord Jesus Christ, who ultimately will be a leader in the church and continue to fail in the days ahead because it shows us the great love and grace that the Lord has for his people, that we don't come to him, those who are strong and able to stand. We come as those who are weak, needing somebody to stand for us. May we trust in him. May we look to him for our confidence. May we be humbled and sober-minded knowing that we, too, are just a moment away from such denials. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have grace for sinners like us, sinners like Peter, who even in your greatest hour failed you. Lord, keep us from these sins and remind us that your grace is available to us when we fall into them. Help us to trust in Christ instead of ourselves. It's in his name we pray. Amen.